Good morning, everyone. It is, uh, ooh, it is, hot. It is a, a joy to be with everyone. Um, I won't take up much time because I know you've got lots of uh, great, intense Bible teaching ahead of you. But uh, my name is Thomas Ross. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the assistant director of Shepherd's Institute at Shepherd's Theological Seminary. And Shepherd's Institute is a one-year master's and discipleship program that is really intended to uh, front load or foundationalize a lot of just solid core biblical knowledge into people's minds. But then the big emphasis is to actually raise just the way that you live your life to actually match up with that theology. We talked about the men's retreat, how we have some different theologies in our life. There's a true theology, which is 100% perfect, and that's God. And then we have our professed theology, the theology that we're learning from studying God's Word, sitting under preaching, things like that. And then there's our lived-out theology. And the example is, if we trust and know God's sovereignty, but our life is just marked by anxiety and depression, there might be some disconnect in that wonderful, glorious truth of who God is and His sovereignty and how it manifests in your life, or how it doesn't manifest in your life. So anyway... We spend one year, we say we have one year, uh, one life, one year to prepare for the rest of your life. And anyone, we have people who are entering into retirement, coming off the mission field, coming out of college, going in just saying, you know, I want to devote one year to really build into myself, learn how to be a better servant in the local church, how to be a better um, just Christian in the in the marketplace, or maybe I want to go over and do missions or, or get into ministry and I didn't even realize. So... We're down in North Carolina, and it's just a joy to be able to be here and offer different um, possibilities and different avenues for, for men and women to just grow and be better servants in the local church and be better equipped with God's Word, and then make sure it actually flows out into your life. We'll also do a, an annual trip to Israel to make sure you understand that this place is not just a, your Bible is not just like some kind of weird Narnia place. No, it's actually a real place. When you mention Beersheba or Dan, you have a a marker in your mind. Oh, yeah, I know where that is. We think it's just a great commentary to understand your scriptures if you actually go to Israel to study. And then we force you into a really intensely, intensively, intentionally intrusive community. So you go through the year and uh, forced into a community with your other uh, students and spouses. And then we just kind of dig in and study your heart all year long for, well, just through our heart study, which is kind of the backbone of what the men's retreat was this weekend. So, Anyway, if you or if anyone else you know is, could be interested, that just feels like that would be an, a great opportunity for them to grow or they're in a stage of transition, feel free to you know, send them our way, let us know. But honestly, even if that, has, that doesn't happen at all, I'm a Christian first, not a seminarian first, so I'm just grateful to be able to be here and encourage the, encourage the body of Christ this weekend. So uh, if you want to talk about shepherds, you want to talk about Jesus, I don't care. Just come and talk to me. I'd love to just connect and relate and enjoy the fellowship this weekend. So. Thank you, guys. Uh, now, the webpage is shepherds.edu. Is that correct? That's right. Okay, so any questions, uh, obviously talk to Thomas about that, or uh, you can check out the webpage for uh, additional information. Uh, another couple of uh, quick announcements. Um, thanks to, I know he's here somewhere. I saw him in the lobby. Anyway, uh, Doug Wood. Where are you, Doug? Oh, back in the back. No wonder. Um, I was not here last week, I was on vacation, but uh, I was able to listen to Doug's Sunday school lesson, which was outstanding, and it, it helped me immensely in my preparations for this week. Uh, but in case you didn't know, 
our, all our sermons and now our Sunday school lessons are available on our website, uh, www.cbczenia.com. Uh, most of you are aware of the website, but we can, if you miss a, a sermon, yeah, Tom. Search, search under uh, other categories. There's a breakout. When you go to the sermons page, uh, there's a breakout, like he said, by, by setting, by topic, and uh, something else. Uh, anyway, and setting would be uh, Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, and then Sunday school, or other speakers, that kind of thing. So, but it's, it's on there. Um, we've only started doing the uh, Sunday school lessons since uh, earlier this year, so there are not as many on there, but... Uh, um, you can avail yourself of those. Also, our, uh, we've got podcasts available. Uh, do a search for Cornerstone Bible Church Sermons on, uh, on your podcast. And, uh, of course, it's live-streamed. Our morning and evening worship services are live-streamed on YouTube. So you can do a search there if you're not available to uh, worship with us here in person, which, of course, is the ideal. Uh, also, uh, if you want to look at it again, uh, it's, the whole service is available there on YouTube after the fact. Uh, so, also, another, well, a lot of announcements this morning, sorry, but uh, for the discussion groups, uh, if we have enough time today, after the Sunday school lesson, uh, discussion groups, we're going to have six of them, um, two in here, one on this side, one on this side, uh, three are going to be downstairs in the fellowship hall, we've got the dividers up, so it shouldn't be too difficult, and one in the back room. So uh, depending on which way you feel like dispersing after the, after the lesson, uh, that's where we'll be for the discussion questions. And the, there are questions on the uh, offering box up here, and there's some in the back as well. So uh, should be enough for everybody. I can't count this fast, but anyway. So uh, this morning, again, we're looking at Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 10. But before we get there, uh, we need to uh, get started with prayer, I do believe. So let's, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for you, for your word, for who you are, what you've done for us. We thank you that we can come together to look into your word. We thank you that your word is truth, that your gospel is truth, that you've given us a way to know you, and you want us to know you. We thank you, Lord, for each person here we ask your blessing on our time together, that you would use your word to change lives. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship, to learn. Pray that everything that is said and done this morning would be for your honor and glory alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're looking again at uh, Galatians chapter 1. We'll be in verses 6 through 10 this morning. So, Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Follow along with me as I read. I'll be reading out of the uh, New American Standard. I am, verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we... Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, 
If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Wow. I like the way Doug put it last week. In these verses, Paul opens up with the guns and gives them a full broadside. Uh, he's, he, he's holding nothing back. Uh, as Bob observed in the, introdu- in the introduction to Galatians a couple of weeks ago, this is the only Pauline epistle that does not contain some type of commendation to the church that he's writing to. Um, of course, he gives his opening verse, his, his salutation and introduction, uh, the fairly standard grace to you and peace uh, that is uh, common to most of his epistles. But then he launches right into his tirade, for lack of a better word, this, com- this lack of commendation is primarily due to the critical nature of the issue that he's addressing, the doctrinal issue that he's addressing here. He does, doesn't have time for niceties. He's got to get straight to the point, and he wants to get their attention, which he does pretty well. This is a matter of essential truth he's talking about here. When we take a look at Paul's first missionary journey, recorded in Acts 13 and 14, the churches in Galatia to whom this epistle was written were among the first churches that he and Barnabas established, helped establish there in Asia Minor. Uh, Acts 13, verse 16 and following, record Paul's first sermon to the churches in Galatia, uh, delivered at the synagogue in what is known as Pisidian Antioch, right there in Galatia. Uh, as, as a reminder, just to set the stage for you, the four primary locations that are recorded in uh, uh, Acts in this uh, passage for the churches in Galatia were Pisidian Antioch, which is, they call it that, to, so don't confuse it with the Antioch in Syria, which is the sending church for Paul and Barnabas. Uh, so Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Derbe. Paul gave a sermon there in Antioch describing in detail how Jesus is the Messiah in fulfillment of specific Old Testament prophecies. Take a look at uh, verse 32 of Acts 13. I'll read that for you. And we preach to you the good news, the gospel, of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This is the gospel, the good news, the euangelion, pardon my Greek, we get the word evangel from that. Uh, The classic summary of the gospel is the one that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the essence of the gospel. And this is what Paul is so strongly defending here in Galatians. It's the message he preached when he first went to each of the churches. It's the message he kept preaching throughout his ministry and all all through his missionary journeys in his... uh, testimony to the rulers before Caesar. It's the same message that we need to preach today. It's the essential message message of salvation we all need to hear. Okay, taking a closer look at our passage, we'll do a, uh, 
uh, more of a verse-by-verse look at these. Uh, Verse 6, starting, I am amazed, astonished. I marvel. He he, he was flabbergasted, gobsmacked, surprised, upset. He was almost angry at uh, uh, what was happening there in the churches in Galatia. He's telling them, wow, how could you? It's beyond understanding. What have they done that is so incredible? He tells us in verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. So quickly. So apparently very little time has passed. Uh, Now given the likelihood that this epistle was probably the first one that Paul actually wrote and delivered to the churches, um, probably around A.D. 50 or so, I think we can conclude that it didn't take long after Paul departed from this area for the false teachers to come in and start their campaign against the true gospel. Apparently, it didn't take long for word to get back to Paul either. So let's remember, we need to remember these Christians in these churches are very young in their faith. Now, Paul came in, he preached the gospel, he converted people, the gospel, the word converted people, but he used, God used Paul to bring that message of, of regeneration and sanctification and salvation to the churches there. Uh, they got the truth from Paul uh, and Barnabas, but again, they didn't have a lot of experience. Uh, so uh, they, when these false teachers came in, they kind of got blindsided. Um, and it didn't take long for them to, to, fall, to fa- fall for this falsehood that was being uh, taught. But uh, Paul doesn't give them a whole lot of uh, leeway, doesn't lot, a lot of flexibility. He is amazed that they fell away so quickly. So he's sending this epistle to reinforce the foundation, the gospel that he gave them the first time when he first established the local assemblies there. So what did they do? Continuing in verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him. Desert. Metatithami, metatithami in the uh, in the Greek, and not the same as metatimothy. That's what you do when you see uh, Timothy Groman. You, you metatimothy. Right? That's not the, not this word. Metatithami, metatithami. Change sides. It's uh, the uh, sorry, Timothy. <laughs> Object lesson. So it's it's same same term, metatithami, used for uh, military desertion. So they're switching sides as, as far as Paul is concerned. Um, maybe Paul thought he had done a better job of establishing the foundation there, uh, but for whatever reason, the Galatians were apparently uh, easily turned away from the path of truth, the path of him who called them, going ahead uh, in that verse, deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. Call there is a Kaleo, it's the foundation of the word ecclesia, called out ones, the church, the assembly. Uh, this is a, means to call someone, to, to invite or summon, summon a, a person or people. Same word that is used in Romans 8, 28 to 30. If you're here with us on Sunday nights, uh, you're going to be familiar with this word uh, in the golden chain of five links. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight. those who are called according to his purpose... And those whom he predestined, he also called. This is the effectual calling Paul is talking about here. 
the same call that we have responded to uh, in faith for salvation, for regeneration. And those and these whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So that's one of, one of the one of the links in the golden chain of five links of salvation. So back to Galatians one and six. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. It's a reminder to the Galatians of how they were saved and by whom they were saved. The repetition of what Paul said earlier in verses uh, 3 and 4. And another example of the major theme of this epistle. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now these Galatian church members were true believers. They had been converted. They were regenerate people. Uh, but their spiritual immaturity perhaps made them more vulnerable targets for satanic attack. Their salvation is, is secure, but by, when error is introduced into the truth that they've been taught, uh, these believers can be made less effective. We face the same threat today from any kind of attack on the truth. Um, Satan is going to do whatever he can to distract us, confuse us, make us doubt, make us fear, make us anxious, impact our testimony, make us weary, whatever, with whatever tools he can find at his disposal. In this case, he used what probably seemed to the Galatians like proper religious teaching. Uh, looking at the end of verse 6, for a different gospel. Uh, so it sounded like good news, but the Greek word here for different is heteros, which is uh, another gospel. It means a qualitative difference, something that's completely different, another type, strange, not related to the original. So this is not, it's, it's like a flipped over, totally separate, totally different. Uh, as we look at uh, verse 7, the beginning of verse 7, uh, which is really not another now, the word there for another is alos, which means another of a similar kind. Uh, if, you have, uh, if you're having, okay, a donut, you're going to have another donut, but it's usually going to be another of a separate, of the same kind, especially for me. I like glazed donuts, but of course, I like all donuts, obviously. Uh, but uh, if I'm going to have another donut, it's going to be another of the same kind. That's alos, uh, but... Um, if you, someone, if you ask for a donut and you get a sausage patty, that would be heteros. That's a totally different thing. So, uh, now I've totally lost my place. <laughs> but uh, alos is the same word that's used in, uh, in John chapter 14 and verse, I think it's verse 17, uh, which is, uh, Bill's going to be talking about that earlier or later today, so I'll let him expand on that. Uh, but here, Paul is emphasizing that the gospel that the false teachers have been spreading is not the same gospel that Paul had taught them, something completely separate, not related at all to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. It's really no gospel at all. There's nothing good or true about having to work for our salvation, which is what the false teaching Judaizers were saying. Continuing on in verse 7. Verse 7, only there are some who are disturbing you, 
agitate, stir up trouble. The picture here is a, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. You put some milk or sugar in there. You stir it up, and as you're stirring it, you let go of the spoon. That spoon's still going around and around. That's agitating. That's stirred up. That's what these Judaizers were doing to the people in Galatia. Uh, the uh, same word, tarasso, is the word, Greek word. It's used in uh, Acts 15, verse 24, in the letter that the Jerusalem Council sent to the churches. And the verbiage there is very similar to what we find here, Acts 15, 24. Since we have heard that some of our number, some of the people there in, in the Judea area, to whom we gave no instruction, these are the Judaizers, to whom we gave us, we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you. Tarasso, stirred up, agitated, troubled you with their words, unsettling your souls. So the, the same issue that was addressed uh, by the Jerusalem Council is the same issue that's being addressed here in Galatians. Now, the Galatian believers were distressed, they were confused, upset, they were being led astray. And this gets Paul upset as well. It says they want to distort the gospel of Christ. The Greek word for distort is metastrepho, to pervert. And that's where we get the uh, topic for uh, the title for today's uh, lesson, perversion of the gospel. This word right here, to distort, to pervert, uh, mean corrupt, change, turn, confuse. The motivation of these Judaizing false teachers is, uh, who are doing this, is to distort the gospel, uh, to stop the spread of Christianity before it really gets a foothold. They can stop it, nip it in the bud, so to speak, uh, then Satan will have uh, won that battle. But uh, we know that the gospel is going to do its work, regardless of any satanic attacks. He can attack us where he wants, but uh, God's will is going to be done, because God is sovereign, and he's much more powerful than Satan ever will be. We need to remember that, too. But uh, again, uh, these Galatian believers, Galatian assemblies, are among the first churches that were established in Asia Minor, a predominantly Gentile area. Uh, now, when Paul began his evangelistic efforts, his preaching, it was usually uh, in the Jewish synagogues, as we, as we observe. But uh, it didn't take long for the Jewish religious leaders in these communities to voice their opposition. We see that in Acts 13.45, when Paul and Barnabas were teaching on the Sabbath there in Antioch. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Verse 46, it was necessary, Paul, Paul speaking here, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, to the Jews, since you repudiate it, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, verse 48 of uh, Acts 13, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many has been appointed to eternal life, believed. So this is essentially when Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, he would still preach to the Jews. He had that uh, foot, uh, uh, entry uh, as, a, as a rabbi, as a Pharisee, a member of uh, the Jewish elite, uh, 
had that foothold there in the synagogues, uh, but uh, entry, but so that's where he started. But he would always go to the Gentiles when the Jews kicked him out. Uh, but uh, so this t- this uh, sermon that he's as he says, okay, Jews, you've rejected the word of God, so we're going to the Gentiles now. But this sent the Jew- Jewish re- religious leaders around the bend. So they began to persecute Paul and Barnabas. They drove them out of Antioch to Iconium, where they tried to stone them. Then they, so they went to Lystra, where they actually did stone Paul, apparently to death. But uh, he was miraculous, re- miraculously restored. And then he went on to Derbe. So, again, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. In each of these locations, despite the per- persecution they endured, they continued to preach the gospel, according to Acts 14.7, in each of these locations. Uh, and I found it interesting, verse 21 of Acts 14, it tells us that after they had preached the gospel to that city, Derbe, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. So even though they've been persecuted in each of those locations, all four of those locations, Paul and Barnabas were willing to return to, for the sake of the gospel to strengthen the foundation of truth they'd established in those communities for the sake of the gospel. So we're also told in verse 23 of Acts 14, they appointed elders in every church. So apparently, clearly they were serious about church administration and about caring for the flocks in those locations. But again, when you think about it, the elders that were appointed obviously had to be new believers as well. So they didn't have that foundation uh, as, as strong a foundation, perhaps, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when these Judaizers came, they could have been more easily led astray. So, however, the opposition of the Jewish religious leaders, as well as some of the Gentile political leaders, uh, left these local churches subject to persecution, as we've observed, which can lead to uncertainty, lead to doubt, especially in young believers. So when the Judaizers came in, saying, effectively, you have to be Jewish, be circumcised, follow Mosaic law, follow Jewish tradition, before you can become a Christian. Uh, These young churches, the church members, were apparently more susceptible uh, to following this false gospel. So they needed to be reminded of the truth. That's why Paul's verbiage here is so intense, as we see in verse 8. But even if we, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Wow. wow. So Paul is confirming that the original gospel, the original message he proclaimed, is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 8 is more of a hypothetical uh, because obviously Paul is not going to change the message. He's not going to preach another gospel. Uh, And any true angel from heaven cannot speak falsehood. Uh, so this is more, more for effect. Uh, he's just saying, you know, an extreme example. If we or an angel from heaven does something, you can reject that person, reject that message. Uh, but in verse 9, uh, he kind of repeats the same thing, but he gets more real. He's bringing it down to earth in verse 9. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, he is to be accursed. Any man, 
This directly indicts the false teaching Judaizers who are trying to add requirements to the gospel. Now, the first part of verse 8 or verse 9 says, As we have said before. Now, this suggests Paul probably emphasized the importance of protecting the truth when he first preached it in these local assemblies. Uh, we don't have any evidence that uh, there was a, a letter uh, between uh, his departure from these areas and the delivery of this epistle. So we can assume that uh, what he's talking about, as we have said before, that's when he was facing, facing them there in the assemblies and giving them the message person to person. So he's reminding them of uh, what he told them in person. Uh, the gospel that you have received. In verse 8, Paul talked about the gospel that he preached. Verse 9, he's talking about the gospel the Galatian believers received. It's the same gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we talked about. Uh, He's just changing the subject of the sentence, what I preached, what you received. Now, the Greek word for received is paralambano. I just like saying that. Paralambano. This indicates that they had made it their own. They received what had been delivered by another. They brought it near. They brought it alongside themselves. They associated themselves with it. They accepted it. They internalized it. This is the same word that, John, that uh, Jesus uses in John 14, verse 3, which we've uh, also been looking at in Sunday morning service, as he's telling his disciples about his preparation for their heavenly dwelling places. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So receive. He's going to bring us to himself. It's the same word that uh, receive that we see here in Galatians 1 and verse 9. And Paul uses it a lot in his epistles. Uh, We hear it once a month. If you think about it, uh, every time we take uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, the instructions for administration of the Lord's Supper. It was received. Uh, same word we saw earlier in 1 Corinthians 15 and 3, uh, in the summary of the gospel, I bring to you uh, as, of, uh, as of first importance that which I also received. So uh, Paul wants his readers and wants us to know that the truth he is preaching is the same truth that was given by God himself to Paul and that he received it, he internalized it, he made it his own, and he's giving it to them for them to receive. So it indicates a voluntary, willing acceptance of something being presented. For the Galatians, it was the gospel. Paul preached the true gospel. That's the gospel that they received and believed. Now uh, now we get to the verdict that uh, he pronounces on anyone who would pervert the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There in verse 8 and verse 9, same words. He is to be accursed. That person is anathema, devoted to destruction. Again, he says it twice. So Paul is clearly angry at these false teachers, much as any of us would be if someone were to to attack our children. Uh, And Paul doesn't pull any punches in declaring his contempt for these individuals. These people probably had impressive religious academic credentials, uh, they sounded good. They sounded impressive. Uh, they said things that included some aspects of the truth, but they added falsehood. They added unnecessary requirements to the gospel. 
And this was unacceptable to Paul. Now, we see warnings against false teachers throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus warned his disciples about uh, false teachers, uh, Matthew 24. Uh, Just about every epistle has warnings against false teachers, uh, warning us to be on our guard against them, be aware of that they exist. They're out to pervert the gospel. Uh, They're insidious. There's that word again. Uh, They're insidious. We have to remember how vitally important the true, genuine gospel is, and we have to protect it. It is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16, and it's worth protecting. So, uh, yeah, we got plenty of time. Uh, Verse 10, just moving ahead, verse 10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Here, Paul is continuing the defense of his apostleship that he began in verse 1 of uh, Galatians, chapter 1. Uh, there, as you recall, he stated that he was an apostle not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul was never interested in pleasing men or impressing people. Obviously, uh, you can see from his comments in these preceding verses, uh, generally speaking, those who would seek the approval of men do not go around suggesting they be condemned to eternal destruction. So he knew, Paul knew that the kind of life, the preaching that would gain the approval of men would not, probably not be uh, acceptable in the sight of God and would disqualify him from serving God with his whole heart and his whole life. And that was more important for him. That's why he was doing what he did, was to glorify God, to serve God. It's a lesson for us as well. When we see ourselves as bond servants of Jesus Christ, slaves, if you will, we'll be willing to follow the direction Paul gives slaves in Ephesians 6, verses 5 and 6. Slaves... Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Now, all of us, in one form or another, have masters um, here on earth, uh, those to whom we owe obedience, uh, and either a boss at work, you know, professors, instructors at school, um, parents, whatever, um, someone directing us to do something, to perform duties. Uh, and we should be, we need to remember that all our work should be done uh, as though God is our direct supervisor. Because in a very real sense, He is. We are to obey Him first and then do the work that, we're, that is set before us. Uh, we need to remember that our motivation is not to impress men, but to glorify God. Now, conscious, conscientious, legitimate effort in our everyday lives will, generally speaking, probably satisfy our earthly human overseers, but in, in an attitude of humble service with the mindful intention that whatever we do, we're able to, we should do all to the glory of God, and that will please Him. So Paul reminds us that we are servants of God, and our first motivation is to obey Him.
So, in conclusion, we see in these verses Paul's fierce defense of the truth, the defense of the gospel, the purity of the gospel, the importance of the gospel. And we see his condemnation of those who would pervert the gospel. May we ever be aware of the attacks on the truth of God's word and the gospel and be ready to speak out, to defend that truth.